Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Center for Christian Music Studies at Baylor University. This podcast was recorded at the 2010 Alleluia Conference. In this session entitled Rehearsing More Than Music, Terry York teaches how the dynamics of the choir rehearsal go far beyond practicing music. Dr. York invites listeners to come learn what else is being refined as choir members come together and work to get it right. To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at www.baylor.edu slash alleluia. Rehearsing more than music and the performing more than music is something that has been inside me, not just me, a lot of people know about this, but it's been important to me since literally I was a little kid. Um, my grandparents knew each other as friends in a church long before uh, my parents grew up enough to notice each other. And uh, my grandparents on both sides helped start a church. And then their kids grew up and got married and had kids, and I was the first of those, and on and on down. It was in a little town called Atchison, Kansas. And um, I, one of the highlights of my young life was Wednesday night choir rehearsal for a number of reasons. Uh, one was that the choir was mostly made up of my relatives from both sides combined. So I had grandparents, aunts, and uncles up there. I could do no wrong. Um, I often felt sorry for the choir director. Her name was Endelkoffer was her last name. Margaret Endelkoffer. And I, now I think back about it, and I would not have wanted be the choir director with me running from one grandpa and one another grandma to aunts and uncles. But not only were significant people significant to me in my life in that choir, but I saw them doing something that I knew them well, and I knew that this was special to them. I could just intuitively, I knew this was something special for them. And then I saw what happened with what they did on Wednesday night on Sunday morning, and that was special. And this just became something very, very important to me. So uh, when I was old enough, I sang in the choir. And then after some time passed, I was conducting choirs. And all the time remembering this kind of um, something else that was going on. And for a long time, I thought it was just because of the family ties I've already mentioned. But when I got in other choir situations where I was not um, connected to them, as a family member, and they were not family choirs like that. It was in a family chapel kind of church. Then I was, I think, be able. I was able to see. No, there was something more going on just in the fact that I was grandson, nephew. That I could do no wrong. There's something else happening here. So I've been kind of thinking about this and working on this for for years, mostly informally now and then formally. So um, I want to. As you saw in the program for the week, we're talking about rehearsing more than music and singing more than music or performing more than music. There are two major, um, I think, components to the environment in which choir happened. It's one of the reasons when choirs um, disappeared in praise and worship settings, in the contemporary setting, I didn't feel. <clears throat> Not a lot that keeps me up at night anymore. One of the things that used to keep me up at night was I thought somebody's going to figure out a way to do away with hymns. Eh, hymns keep coming back, don't worry about it. Second thing was 
when I saw the disappearance of choirs in favor of ensemble. First I was angry and I was frightened and then I was forget it. There's, there's too much good in choirs for them to stay away. They have to come back. They will come back. They are coming back. So, and part of the reason for that I think is, is twofold. One is that there is a message flowing to and through the choir. Whenever a choir takes a particular piece of music and rehearses it and then performs it in worship, there is, God is conveying a message through that event. That's a big deal. Second thing is that people, these creatures whom God loves so deeply, are involved in this. Those are two facets of the larger picture of what's happening in the choir. God is sending a message to and through God's people and God's people are involved in that process. So we could kind of outline it um, at, sort of this way. Um, <clears throat> very simple. No big uh, revelation here, but when God decides through this particular way to send the message through choir anthem through the choir's involvement in the worship. First bit of inspiration is to the uh, composer author. Um, folks who do this kind of thing write lyrics for anthems and music for anthems um, really don't decide this is something they're going to do I think so much as discover that they can do it. And with the discovery that they can do it comes sort of a sense of responsibility, therefore I should do it. And at that point, when you realize, hmm, I can do this and it rhymes and it makes sense and people notice it, and, and then uh, composers, people walked away humming it, whistling it, there comes, I think, a certain sense of responsibility. What do I do with this? It goes from there. So I'm going to use just simply for uh, ease of communication, minister of music, this person can have all kinds of titles, song leader, choir director, music director, on and on and on and on. I wrote an article one time about all the different names for this person, <laughs> uh, and I've seen some strange ones. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that, some interesting ones. Uh, worship producer. <laughs> Minister of Magnification. That's one of my favorite ones. Uh, yeah, I have got. A, I really do have a, an article about that, and it, it's. A, and I think what happens in that title is really what the congregation expects from this person, or how they see this person functioning, almost subconsciously. Uh, the choir comes. I mean, the congregation comes up with this name, and. Uh, what they're really doing is refining down to a sentence or to a phrase what they understand this person's role to be. <laughs> so you can tell a whole lot by what this person is called. Now, this person gets all kinds of music. They go to Alleluia and they sit there and Joe Martin dumps a ton of music. <laughs> a ton. And you sing through, and you sing through, and you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, him again? Oh, yeah. And, you, and, and some of them work, and some of them don't. And you have your own little system. You know, you put an X on some, or you put a check on some, or it means something to you, or a smiley face or something. You're nice enough not to wad them up. 
Um, it's a, I've had a few of my songs go through, and it just, I don't even want to watch. Uh, I listen and then I run and hide or close my eyes because I don't want to see the people going or putting a big X on it or wadding it up. But the ministry music has to decide, you know what? Knowing my church like I know my church and knowing my responsibility and my relationship to the folks like I know, this song, this anthem, this is something we need to learn and we need to incorporate in our worship. This is not unlike a pastor choosing a passage of, of uh, scripture from which to preach. Even if your church stays close, uh, closely attached to, um, to the lectionary, it doesn't say preach this. There are options. And you sit there and you look at the options and you think, hmm, knowing the congregation like I know the congregation, as I read this text, scripture or anthem, yeah, this is something that right now our church needs to hear needs to embrace, needs to engage in some way. So, Minister of Music selects that. And now it's getting closer home for some folks. To the choir. Oh my. We'll look at this a little bit more. How many of you in here direct choir? Yeah, okay. Then you've seen this. This is what you hope for. You get the piece of music with this. Now and then you can get this. They, they, don't, they don't say it to you, but they just sent the message. They sent the message. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a moment. About the choir member's responsibility at this point. When that piece of music comes, it's not just, I hope, I hope it's had more criteria coming through here than just do you like it or not? Is it easy enough or not? Is it by a trusted composer, therefore I'll do it no matter what it is? I hope you've given a little bit more thought to that. Then comes the choir, and the choir now has a responsibility to receive this message that's on its way, to personalize it, we'll talk about that in some detail more, to personalize it, to um, internalize it, and then pass it on to the congregation. That gets to be tough. Pass it on. What's so tough about that? We rehearse it on Wednesday night or Thursday night or Sunday afternoon whenever your choir does it, and we sing it on Sunday morning. No, I'm not going to let you off that easy. Can you imagine such a scenario, it happens most often in Baptist churches, I think. I know there's some Presbyterians in the room and some Methodists. <laughs> this happens in Baptist churches. Well, there'd be someone, you're in, the you're in the choir loft, and there's someone out in the congregation, and because the two of you had some disagreement 12 years ago, and you can't really remember exactly what it was about, but you avoid them in the parking lot and in the hallways. You figured out where they're supposed to go on Sunday, and you go another way within the church building. Yet you stand in front of them, and they're to sing the love of God. Won't give them the time of day, but you'll sing to them of the love of God. I'd like to suggest to you, and we'll talk about this more again later, setting this up in a moment. I'd like to suggest to you that when you have the notes right, 
and the words right, you're still not finished rehearsing. You're not finished with your responsibility to the congregation. There may need to be some parts getting right, yours and someone in the congregation. My students have heard this. Sorry. Uh, my students have heard this, but I want to share it again. I was teaching this same kind of a subject. I won't tell you where, I won't tell you which church, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And it got to this point that you can get the words right, you get the music right, and you have a responsibility to do that. But your responsibility as a minister in the choir goes also to getting your hearts right with the whole team, and so you can authentically share this music. There was a woman in, in, in the conference, they're meeting in, down in the basement in the fellowship hall of this church. And she started to weep. And another woman came over and was kind of comforting her. And the two of them got up and left. I just thought maybe she was sick. And I heard, they told me the next day, that there had been a rift between this woman and another person in the congregation. In the congregation. And the Lord had spoken to her. And she realized she could not stay in the choir until she got that squared away. And went that evening, left the conference, went that evening to, I don't know, apologize or whatever and uh, and she uh, the Lord whispered in her ear that this was a real deal I think and she took it to heart and then the congregation you hope takes this message that started here and takes it out into the community but somehow it's in the inspiration that's happening here comes with this kind of an urging you've heard the good news now you've heard the story and because it's attached to music, it's kind of sifted down deeper in your heart and your soul. Now, just like the choir member, what you're going to do with it comes now to the congregation. What are you going to do with this? And you hope that this somehow or other is part of Sunday's transformation, part of the worship transformation that takes, takes place. And even as they were, uh, as the congregation was inspired, hopefully through the homily, through the sermon, so too, to what they heard from the choir, well rehearsed, careful about the enunciation of the words, careful about nuances of the line, so that the message comes through. And the congregation hears it loud and clear and deep in here, and they are transformed now, and they have to go out in the community to make a difference. I believe this, or I wouldn't still be doing this, I'm telling you, since August of 1969. So that's, that's kind of the context in which our rehearsing more than music takes place. And when we talk in the later session, you dare to come back. Here's where we are now, rehearsing, and we're going to talk about later performing this thing that has come to us, this responsibility. You're in Truett Seminary, and you're in a typical classroom. Notice how it's set up. That's so that I don't do all the talking, and I'm, and we see that I'm not the only teacher. So, uh, can we at this moment? Do you have any, any commentary, any question, response to this context? God's sending a message. God is using God's people in this. Now, God can can do whatever kind of inspiration God wants to do. God can come down here directly. I mean, He doesn't have to come through. But when the inspiration comes through, the choir's work. 
think this is the tracking statement. Any questions, comments, response to that before we go on? Yeah, well, that's that kind of jumping off. Kind of it's it's jumping off the board here, but we'll chase that rabbit. It's it's uh, related. Um, I mean, how does that that person get into this on Sunday morning? They're they're in a similar situation as the congregation, and they're he and they're hearing it. Uh, they have a bit more of a leg up, I think, in that they're actually seeing it and and considering it, even if it's for that moment. Um, you would hope that they're coming on Sunday enough to see, you hope that there's enough going on on Wednesday night that when they show up on Sunday, they realize they've missed something. And you don't, I don't badger them. I don't put guilt feelings on them to get them there Wednesday night. I just hope that there's enough obvious benefit to being there on Wednesday night that uh, that encourages them to come. I decided early on not to make myself a policeman. I just don't have the time, energy, or want to. And every time you set up some rule for Jesus, you end up being the, the enforcer, or else it proves you prove that you didn't really mean it, which is working hard to take backward steps. So I just try to let the, the proof be in pudding that. that um, Obviously, the choir knows something about this piece I don't know, and it matters. And it may be musical, it may be beyond that, maybe spiritual. And they find a way to find it. It's the same way with me with the choir starting on time and ending on time. I don't sweat choir starting on time. I just make a big deal on my responsibility of ending it on time. And I've, I've probably shared this uh, with, I know I've shared with some in the class. Um, if say if choir goes from 8 till 9 and I make a big deal about choir starts at 8 and it ends at 9 and the first time I've made a big deal of that I will make sure we go till 9.01 and then I just apologize all over myself for going a minute early I mean a minute late and I tell them I will give you that minute back next week and I do I give them the minute back we stop at 8.59 next week and I make a big deal of it. if I focus on the end of choir ending it, then they just sort of naturally start to take responsibility for the beginning. And I don't have to be a policeman. You were going to make a comment? Yeah, I said hopefully they will have seen this music more than one time. Yes, yeah, hopefully that, uh, you know, your your rehearsal technique is such that uh, you're, you have at least, I would say, at least six anthems that you deal with every Wednesday night, maybe seven or eight, but at least six. And you spend different amount of time on each one, whether you're, you know, whether you're introducing it or it's coming up on Sunday. You probably know how to do that. You're right, and in that way, um, they can kind of step in and step out, and it's not uh, all at once. Okay, let's talk a little bit about rehearsal. One of the biggest breakthroughs in my work as a minister of music <clears throat> was when I quit putting guilt trips on folks for missing rehearsal. In fact, what I did was bless them in this way. I said to the folks, I need to apologize to you because what I've been doing on Sundays is sitting up there on the platform with the pastor 
taking mental note of who all is in the congregation that should be up behind me in the choir room. And sending these gentle little reminders, you know, on Monday or Tuesday. It was wonderful to see you in church. Would have been even more wonderful to have you in the choir. Some off-the-wall thing like that. Just left them alone. And finally I said to the choir, if you've woke up this morning with a toothache, and on the way to get your kids to soccer practice you had a flat tire, and the spare was flat, and it was raining, and all of that, and something has to give, and it's Wednesday night, Stay home from choir rehearsal with my blessings. Take your feet off, your shoes off. Put your feet up and relax. With my blessing, I promise I won't bug you. Choir attendance increased. <laughs> Didn't it? Increased. Because there was no fear of taking on something that was going to be another focus. You know, like a magnifying glass between you and the sun and just beating down on you. If choir is what it should be, people are going to be coming, in my opinion, because of the spiritual uplift and the musical uplift that takes place. And I want to focus on that. Now, now we're still human beings, and uh, <coughs> we'll talk some more about uh, when not everyone gets it in the choir and that have not yet become the ministers we want them to be and are saying things like she only has one note have you noticed Mr. Choir Director and uh, either she stopped coming or I stopped coming and realize that I still have a whole lot more work to do in helping people understand the ministry of choir members we'll talk about that more Rehearsal is that thing that's hard to get to, but when we get there, it's done right. It's, it's a, an uplifting experience. So what I want us to look at is, is this time, what is, what's going on in addition to the music? This is not to take away one moment's notice or one bit of energy from the music. But when choir rehearsal is what it should be, spiritually and musically, what are the things else that are happening that I referred to earlier. I think one of them is submission to authority is being rehearsed. Submission to authority. Now for the choir director, it is, and to the, to the choir too, it is submission to this authority. But for the choir member, minister of music is, is submission, but for the choir member, it's also submission Submitting to the authority of the minister of music for that hour. Now, lest you get the big head, don't take that authority uh, to be some sort of coronation. I mean, you're not the only minister, you're not choir director in town, however small the town, or just in the church, no matter how small the congregation. But um, the submission of authority. Think about it. When we as the choir director say to the choir members, stand, they stand. Turn to page three, they turn to page three. Sing your pianissimo a bit quieter, they do. There is a rehearsal of submission to authority and for the minister of music, the handling of authority. We're rehearsing it. I had a friend in seminary, first time around for me in seminary. He's a good friend, I won't tell you his name, you might run into him once in a while. 
he wanted me to come. We were in seminary and we were almost drunk on all the things that we were learning and had our own choir and had our, you know, which was a steady gig. It was just wonderful. So we would kind of declare each other to be heroes and like the beginning of, um, of the you know, fall, getting the choir back together again, we would kind of do each other's kickoff. So this friend of mine had, he, his Gulf Shores was uh, Mississippi, was where his church was, and he had me come over to be the hero Friday and Saturday. I had him come be the hero of my church in New Orleans. And so anyway, I went to this, to his uh, choir kickoff, and I could not believe what I was seeing. He was treating them like um, slaves. The way he was talking to them. And my biggest fear was that he was going to ask me on Monday when we got back to school, or Tuesday when we go to school. Tuesday when we got back to school, what would you think, Jim? Because here's what I thought. I wouldn't have stayed in his choir five minutes. I would not have stayed five minutes. He thought he was Robert Shaw or somebody. I don't know. And he's just tearing him up. Um, Submission to authority. Part of that is the minister of music submitting to the authority of what it means to be a servant, what it means of these people and of God, and a minister to these people and of God. That's submission to authority. And then the choir members submitting to the authority of the minister of music. Sit, sit. Stand, stand. Turn to page three. Turn to page three. This is being rehearsed over and over, over and over. Now, what's the big deal about that? Well, there may be some people in the choir who need to learn in the context of your congregation how to submit to authority. Maybe it's one of the deacons or elders or the wife of somebody or the husband of somebody, and they think they are somebody. And in the life of the church, there's really not much authority that they submit to, not even the pastor. They kind of run things, unofficially or officially. And I must confess there have been times when I knew I had that person or those persons in the choir, I'd have them stand or go back to a, a portion of the song that was a little tough, just to watch them do it. The Lord and I have got that all squared away. <laughs> but there is this submission to authority. You stand, you sing, be quiet, louder, softer. Submitting to authority is good for the work of the choir, though we wanted to find out later. It's also good for the church. For someone who has a lot of authority in the church to learn how to submit to authority is also And this is something that is rehearsed. It's because our concern, that person will turn to page three and sing that passage pianissimo instead of just piano because for somehow they understand it's for the good of the choral sound. But remember this, whatever we learn anywhere becomes part of who we are everywhere. That's why your folks tell you to be careful who you hang out with. And that's true. You learn this in choir, and it goes with you into the rest of the life and the work of the choir. Well, who's in the choir? Who's in the choir? I can tell you who's in your choir. And I maybe haven't been in church. I've been in church of a couple folks around the table. I know who's in your choir. People who run the church. 
people who think they run the church and people who don't care who runs the church. They're in your choir. In your choir are people who are there every time the door is open and people who come only for choir. And all of them are rehearsing submission to authority. They may make sure that you only get a 3% raise next year, but when you ask them to stand, they stand. Weird kind of thing. But goodness, working with people is weird all the time, so don't be surprised by that. Submission to authority. We also learn cooperation and teamwork. This is something else that's being rehearsed, and it is ex exceedingly important. Some aspects of this other than musical uh, item and that to be rehearsed are it's a submission this is similar to submission to authority there's some distinctives as, as well you heard this that's my robe <laughs> you walk in and here's a new person and as soon as you walk in the rehearsal room or the sanctuary and you look up in the choir loft they're sitting in your spot she's in my chair it's my music In choir, we rehearse the art of working together to accomplish an important task or to fulfill uh, an important role, that is, of worship leader. And somehow or other, we have to notice when the Lord sends us little um, reminders that this isn't about us. And are you ready for this? It's not even about music. So much as it's about the ministry that can take place from choir member to choir member, choir to congregation, as worship leaders. That, now, what I just said is not licensed to do sloppy work musically. I think it is a call to do the very, very best we can musically. The best music we know how to do, and with the best choral rehearsal techniques, the best vocal techniques, the best choral techniques. But now and then we need the reminder that this is not about me. And maybe it's someone picking up my folder accidentally or setting in my chair or my robe. And just as I'm about to have a fit, we remember this isn't about me. And we rehearse that. We rehearse it over and over again. Cooperation and teamwork. Very similar to that is rehearsing this attitude of understanding. What is your reaction to a new piece of music? Well, I already sort of pantomimed that for you earlier. The new piece of music comes. You look at it, and maybe you don't read music. The choir member doesn't read music well enough to know. They just look at the words and know whether or not they know the words yet. But then they hear it. Oh, crying. Why didn't the choir director give this to the youth choir? What is this? Who ever heard of this? I thought this was going to be Blessed Assurance. What's this weird music? This isn't the Blessed Assurance. You've heard all of that. Sometimes choir members, by body language alone, can send some rather clear and pointed messages that we aren't terribly pleased with the minister music selection. Difficult to justify such actions if we see ministry 
to our minister of music as part of that responsibility. Now, when I teach this to choir members, I've spent quite a bit of time on their responsibility to minister to the ministry of music and to the accompanist. But this, this idea of encountering the music on the part of the choir member and as a responsibility, you shouldn't jerk people around. The choir does not exist for you to get your musical jolly. But the choir also needs to understand that they, it doesn't exist just for them to get their musical jollies either. So here comes a new piece of music, and it's one for whatever their standards of, of uh, evaluation are, they've decided they don't like it. Part of your responsibility, I think, is to make sure they understand why you selected it. And this isn't giving an apology or a sales pitch at the beginning, but it is for you emoting in your own uh, encounter with the rehearsal why it is that you love this piece, or why it is that you know this piece is right for the choir, right for the congregation. They'll pick up on that. They'll know this piece means something to you. It has to, first of all, for that to be uh, honestly uh, communicated. But this new piece that they encounter, um, if you're sold on it, and it shows, I think they will be more open to uh, receiving it and take them to some of the good parts early on. Now listen to this. You go to page 4, measure 56 and they oh my yeah, that's beautiful. Or you go to some point in the text and you read the text and the text stands alone it's strong and it stands alone and they hear the beauty of the poetry and you start wrapping the music around that say oh goodness, what do we have to do to get to this point? And once we've got to this point, what's left in the musical? And pretty soon they are exploring the piece with you because you've shown them one of the beautiful portions of it. And then there is this aspect of him getting a piece of music and this is their response. What? We're doing this again? <laughs> the congregation could sing this from memory and not miss an eighth rest. Why are we doing it again? And if they'll ask themselves, why are we doing this again? Not as some sort of protest, but as a prayer. Why are we doing this again? And we encounter it as if it's a new piece. And here again, as if you're going to scripture, that freshness that's there this time. This attitude of understanding that it's not about what I like or what I don't like, what is obviously the benefit of us doing this to me, or there's not a benefit, but somehow or other, the choir staying open to this. And you have to help them with it. You're a shepherd. You're a minister. Don't tell them you're going to sing this because I picked it out. We're going to sing this because it's such and such a time on the church calendar, and this is the only thing I could find. Mm -mm. You have to be sold on why you're doing it again or why you're doing it this first time. Let them pick up on it. And let them sort of understand where the church is and where the choir is and how this piece is going to fit in. And, and again, you don't tell them that as an apology or a sales pitch at the front. But as you're explaining why this particular phrase has an ascending melodic line, or why this particular phrase has, has called, has the, brought the composer to the syncopation, 
or to this kind of uh, disharmony it seems at this point. Oh, no, it's the same. And they get into it and they start to internalize it. And this attitude of understanding, it doesn't have to go my way. It certainly doesn't have to be something I like on first encounter for me to wade into this and find it. And here's, here's the neat thing about this, folks. Remember who's in the choir. And you're taking them through these important lessons in community and in church. You ought to pay more. Hmm? What do you do with the choir member that has to sing for the fourth time and they hear it or whatever else? Every time you pull up to cover, they're like, ugh. And they sometimes comment every single I just let it go. I just let it go or I just <laughs> chuckle. Depends on how well I know that person and what I know of that person's personality. At, uh, maybe all that needs to be said, he has said it, she has said it, and it's registered with everyone, they don't like it, and you go on. It could be the person has a kind of personality that that uh, is inviting some kind of response. You know, and I can say to him, okay, Tom, I, don't know you, I know you don't like this. I'll wrestle you out in the parking lot after church, and whoever wins, we either do it or we don't do it, and there's a chuckle and there's a lid. They're letting you know. And, and you want to... Uh, acknowledge I think and to respect their opinions but if you if you're conducting quartet you're not going to get four people to agree that this is the right thing at the right time so you really can't worry about that if you're sold on yourself if, if you know that this is what we're supposed to be doing now um, that grunt is acknowledged but it doesn't change the course it's going to be all right and know that this day might come for you um, First time I experienced this was a choir that I led while I was doing my master's degree in seminary in New Orleans. A group of folks I loved dearly. The church was wiped out by Katrina. I mean the building and the community. And the coming back was kind of a neat thing. But uh, had a couple of these, probably more than I should have. Being a seminary student, I was exploring everything. And, um, but then came the time for me to graduate and go on to another church in another town and all that. So I let them choose the music of our final concert. And a significant number of the things they chose were things that originally got their uh, But they came to love it because I loved it. And they saw it. They trusted me as a minister. And they trusted me as a musician. And there was a payoff. If there's no payoff, then you're in trouble. You've used up a whole lot of, of uh, markers. But if there is a payoff, um, then, and, and the temptation was to say, you want to do that one? Don't you remember how much grief you give them? But no, no, no. You just rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> and sing it beautifully and let them enjoy it. They remember that they made And now that they love it, and look what big lesson they've learned. So just have fun with that person or ignore that person, whatever their personality will allow. But don't let it change your course. What is it that God wants me to learn in this encounter with this new piece or with this uh, encounter again, again, again with one that we know so well? What is it that God wants me to learn? If you are open to that, you can explain it. The congregation will, I mean, the choir will learn to be open to it and engage it. Um, I really do believe that because I've seen it happen over and over and over again. Um, in 
finally, uh, I want us to, stewardship of talent is something you rehearse. Stewardship of talent. God did not make a mistake when he gave the folks in your choir the ability to sing. They should not make the mistake of failing to sing. You should not make the mistake of closing the doors for them to sing. Now, are there people who want to sing in the choir who probably shouldn't be there? Yep. But in the whole time I've been doing this, I stepped in front of my first choir in August of 1969 in Riverside, California. In the whole time, I have probably worked to remove maybe three people from choirs. And that I did gingerly and carefully and prayerfully. I've never had um, never had auditions in church choirs. But I have had folks in that choir oh Lord, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm going to tell you the story of one of them quickly. You probably heard this in Kenny Show. His name was Jeanette. Set in the alto they were the ones who sang her note most often. And she was enthusiastic. Knew nothing about music, except she liked to be with choir folks and liked sitting up there and just find something to do. And this is where I referred to earlier, I had people start coming to me in the choir that I thought were farther along. I saw it had shepherding to do as well as conducting. Or either she goes or I go. And this is the one I like the best. Have you heard Jeanette? <laughs> I want to show you something. This is what I wanted to do. Those were my degrees. And I'm standing in front of them in music, music, music. Had I heard Jeanette? <laughs> and I wanted to say, no, what? <laughs> yes, I've heard Jeanette. She goes where we go. Well, in the choir was our minister of education. So I took this cat to lunch. He said, Wayne. You've got to find something for Jeanette to do, and she needs to get ready for it on Wednesday night. And I don't care what it is, changing the Coke machine, or in charge of outreach, I don't care. Something's got to happen. And he was in the choir, and he's a musician. And he said, yeah, I know. And I said, you've got to help me. I said, if you'll do that, here's my plan. You find something for her to do in the educational thing that she has to work on Wednesday and I'm going to go another route, and I explained it. This was it. I opened up three voice lessons. Now, I knew she'd be the first one to jump. There'd be a two or three others, and that's fine. And sure enough, she was the first one, and there were two or three others, so we set up a time for uh, uh, voice lessons. 
she came and I said, you know, one of the main things, Jeanette, is, is what we call matching pitches. You know, what's a pitch? I said, that's, that's the note that we're supposed to be singing now. Here's a pitch, here's a pitch, here's a pitch, here's a pitch, here's a pitch. Oh, and I thought those were notes. I said, yeah, those are notes. So we also call them pitches, and it's very important that we match them. So I go over to the piano and I hit a note. I said, now would you sing that? Oh, beautiful. Come here, Jeanette, I'm going to show you something. Here's what I played, and here's what you sang. See that gap? You can also hear that gap. Let's see if we can close the gap. Oh, okay. Well, okay, see you next Tuesday, 10 o'clock. Okay. Then she comes back. The gap never did close. Well, in the meantime, I'm bugging Wayne. <laughs> Wayne, have you found it? Yeah, I said, I think I found something. So she comes to me finally one day, and she said, Terry, we need to talk. And I'm thinking, yeah. yes, to what, Jeanette? We need to talk. What's that? She says, well, Mr. Reynolds has asked me, or Brother Reynolds has asked me if I can do such and such a piano. I wasn't there. I said, oh, I said, don't they meet for planning on Wednesday night? Yeah, they did. I said, well, Jeanette, you can't be in two places at one time. I mean, all the things that we do here at church are, are equally important. Let's, let's come back and, and sing this note for me, Jeanette. And then, well, that's what I want to talk to you about. She said, that's still kind of wide. And I think I'm going to work with With my blessing, please do. You see, we rehearse far more than music. And there's far more going on than music. But still, Wayne still, I see him once in a while. He's retired now, and I see him once in a while. He re reminds me, I still owe him one. I can, I've never been able to pay him back. <laughs> this is not just about getting the music done, but the music is important enough that something had to happen. This is about ministry to people and through people. And we rehearse it all the time. We rehearse it all the time. Including the stewardship of talent. She didn't have it there. By the way, what she ended up doing, she did beautifully and was very rewarding for her. Um, and probably they've not all been so smoothly handled, by the way. I won't tell you the good ones. <laughs> Rehearsing stewardship of, stewardship of talent when we'd rather be doing something else is, is also rehearsing commitment. And this stewardship of talent um, is something that uh, is easy, the talent is easily pushed aside. Yes, I used to play clarinet in eighth grade, but it's somewhere in the closet or out in the garage. I don't know. The same thing can be done with the vocal talent. And when you bring a person to engage this part of who they are again, through the stewardship of talent and to do well with it, it's opening up the, the entirety of who they are. Their whole self now is engaged in worship and worship leadership. That's more than music. That's something that their entire being and this thing that they used to do, now they can do it and they can do it for the glory of God. And they can do it in community with other singers. This is a wonderful thing. So, um, these are the things that are a bit more than music. We could go farther with this, but I won't. I, according to the old Timex here, we've got about four minutes. Uh, let me just stop talking here and you kind of respond to this. Uh, if you care to uh, get more, we'll talk about performing more than music uh, in other sessions.
But um, any questions or comments or responses to this before I turn you loose? Yes, ma'am. I appreciate what you said about this attitude of understanding. I guess my choir's very small, and then a lot of older people, some of them are kind of set in their ways, and, and they tell me, well, it doesn't sound right, you know, it's just a different setting. But when I try to explain why I chose one thing, uh, or that we only have so many weeks to learn it because that's the Sunday of fifth the lectionary. Right. I've already got the title of the sermon, and that's just so perfect. And, and uh, I guess they affect me enough that they just listen and say, oh, okay. And you know, it's it's such a good feeling that that we can talk about it like that. And sometimes people kind of, I've never anybody get nasty, but sometimes uh, somebody will say, well, we need an extra week on this. I said, but we don't have an extra week, or something like that. And sometimes I'll just say, well, you know what? Bottom line is, it's not a democracy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and then we laugh. Yeah, and you but, can talk about it, that. We need an extra week. You can talk about the fact that sometimes um, they, they will feel like they will feel like um, the music is not as good as it should be, or it's as good as it needs to be. Don't ask us to rehearse it again. And you will hear all of those, and you just have to keep pushing forward. So we can do this. Yeah. And, and you know, it's not perfect, but it it works. Yeah. And I've had people who, they don't really make faces, so I hear some mumbling. But uh, there's this one lady who, who mumbles loudly because she's hard of hearing. <laughs> and, and she has said to me more than once, she said, you know, because we work on Sunday several weeks, and I, I try, especially if I know it's going to be something a little different, not the thing mm -hmm. I'm used to, and I'll, I'll explain. And now this is probably going to strike you kind of not so good the first few times we do it, but you just wait, it'll grow on you. Yeah. And see, I wouldn't tell them that. I, I would uh, just walk into this like, this is so wonderful, don't oh, you see well. it? And, and, uh, and they're pushing back on it. Yeah, you know, I thought you might have that, but look at this. And, and, and uh, as I was looking at this, I heard your comment, even before you saw the music. I heard your comment, but here's why I'm bringing it to you anyway. And uh -huh. just be a good steward of that trust that you have. This one woman, she, she, she has said to me more than once, she said, you know, when I first heard it, I thought, well, but it did grow on me. And she said, the, the music has been in my mind all week, and, and it's the text too. Right? But see, that trust is not license. You have a responsibility right. for that trust. So okay. you don't say, oh, goodness, they'll do whatever I want to without oh, any no. Next week we'll start on Belshazzar's Feast. <laughs> no, no you, you don't do that. You have to be a very good, you have to be a ministerial kind of steward of that trust. And then when they do trust you and they go somewhere they would rather not go, the spiritual slash musical payoff is there and that trust is deepened. Um, so that's part of what you're caring for. You're caring for the people, you're caring for the music, but you're also caring for this trust that's built up. Now and then you have to make a withdrawal from that trust and they don't ever get it as far as why we're doing it, but you still go ahead and do it the best way you can musically. That's a withdrawal and you have to make up that trust again later. But if you build up enough trust, you never go bankrupt. Maybe one more minute. One more question or comment. 
I'm just feeding off of what, what you were saying. This, I have I have discovered that uh, it does take time to build that trust, mm -hmm. and the times when I may have thought, boy, I have had it up to here, it's time to move on, making sure that I stay through, you know, that that, that tough time because it does pay off uh, yeah. after four or five years. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, there there is the, well, it it it's it's you know, it's good early on, but it is so very good when they when you have um, walked with them. And, and and that's exactly right, and that's why you don't want to take advantage of that. You can stretch them within that context of trust, but you don't want to take advantage of it. Uh, take them somewhere that only has payoff for you. And yes, that's temptation, but you just you don't do that. There has to be payoff for the choir. And, um, and what's the hurry? I mean, if you're doing, if you have in your packet six or eight pieces, um, take your time and, and, uh, and there shouldn't be that sense of once in a while something comes in with a bit of urgency, but if you do the right kind of planning out there, then you can push, you can really dispel a lot of that urgency. And here's another thing too, you know this, but you just say it out loud and remember it. Um, you shouldn't be best friends with the people who love everything you do and avoid the people who don't like what you do, whether it's always or the last anthem. Their response to the music should have absolutely no bearing on your ministerial connection with them, friendship, uh, ministry, uh, responsibilities and relationships. Should not be riding on every anthem. Okay. You, you must keep that separate, certainly in the context of your relationship with them and the congregation. But uh, you can't make every anthem a test of their loyalty or your friendship. It's just not worth it. There have been times when I've guessed wrong, and I just realized, you know, I could make them do this, but it's not worth it. And that anthem just sort of quietly disappears. And I don't make a big deal that I tossed it out, and they don't mention it because they don't want me to bring it back, and we all just kind of, uh, and um, there have been some of those times I've confessed to you. Um, okay, it's time for you to be somewhere else. and. Uh, 3.30. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at www.baylor.edu slash alleluia.